Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Back again with another podcast that I cultivated down at the Grand National Roaster Show a few weeks ago. While I was there, I kicked it with a bunch of people, grabbed a bunch of podcasts, and I hope you enjoyed last week with Russell Ritchie. I know I got a lot of positive feedback on there, and people really enjoyed it. So if you guys are enjoying this, make sure you go out there and you share the podcast with your friends. Send it to them. Copy the link. Paste it. Put it on your Facebook page. Let's do as much as we can. If you guys are enthusiasts, do as much as you can for me and post it on your Facebook, your Instagram, add a link, help me grow the podcast some more. We're doing good, we're growing every month, but I like to see it grow a little bit more and get a lot more people out there. Once they discover the podcast, they got a long road to go get caught up. I mean, they got 162 episodes to catch up on now. This podcast is brought to you by VW Trends Magazine, a magazine for the people, by the people, back on the scene after a long hiatus. VW Trends Magazine brings the current culture into the forefront. It's not just Orange County Weekly, but this thing is from all across the country, a lot of variety, water pumpers, uh, a lot of how-to tech articles, but a lot of new and up-to-date stuff in the magazine and opening up out there to get uh, all you guys involved. So make sure you guys go to vwtrendsmagazine.com to subscribe. Now, the show season starting to kick off, and then one of the first events we're going to be headed to is going to be the Bugarama in Phoenix, and that's going to be April 3rd of this year. It's going to be in Phoenix at the Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park. So Doug's Bugs and Bunnies sponsors that event, and it's put on it's put on by Bugarama uh, Productions. And looking forward to getting out there. First time I'll take the track, the race car on the track. So Let's Talk Dubs will be out there for sure. And uh, either myself or George T will be driving on the track. So look forward to see that. If you guys are out there, come say hey and uh, support your boy by picking up some merch or a sticker pack or whatever the case is. Also in May on 28th is going to be CB Performance Bugarama 87. It's going to take place up in Sacramento, California. Following that event, MP presents the classic at Orange County Fairgrounds in Costa Mesa, June 5th, 2022. So if you guys love the classic, like, like I love the classic, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys there June 5th. I'll be there for sure. It'll be a weekend full of fun events like the old days. And now it's happening in the new day. So I'm excited to be headed to the VW Classic on June 5th, presented by MP. So looking forward to that, guys. Uh, I know there's some other events coming up. I'll mention them on the next podcast. This week, we've got a shout out for Scott McManus. He says, awesome shows. Scott says, you knocked it out of the park with Russell Berg and the and 1967 podcast. I've listened to all your shows. Keep the engine tech, racing tech, which parts are good and which ones are junk. Repairs and restoration. Info coming. I'd love to hear from the rest of the Berg crew, including D. Well, hopefully I've got some more of the Bergs coming on here. There will definitely be in the talks with quite a few of them. So appreciate the uh, five-star review, Scott, and uh, look forward to putting out some more episodes for you. Now, speaking of episodes, this week's episode is a podcast with Burley Burlow. Now, if you're an old-time listener to the podcast from way back in the day, we had Burley Burlow on here, but we talked to Burley about specifically the land speed criteria, the racing, the records, and all that good stuff. This particular podcast, we got him on earlier this year. Someone had made a comment of who drew the cow look diagram that was in the famed 1975, February 75 issue of Hot VWs. And Burley Burlow was the guy. Jeff, uh, Jeff Alder was the guy that redid it and kind of straightened it out. But uh, they had asked him to draw it, and he said he was sick. During. But anyway, we get that whole story on this podcast in addition to the the deuce kit for the vw talk about how burley had involvement in that and we talk a little bit about mexican beetles burley has been a staple in the vw community for quite a while 
VW historian. He's just been in the VW game for a very, very long time. So I'm excited that I got to get him back on, sit down with him, and kind of talk about a little more specifically about his history and some of the things he's been involved with back in the day. So uh, without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week, man, on Let's Talk Dubs with Burley Burlow. All right, everybody, we are on our nonstop continuation of podcasts that are coming from the Grand National Roadster Show. And today I've got my friend Burley Burlau with me on the microphone. Burley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Bill. It's fun to be here. So Burley, as you guys know, is a VW historian. He specializes mostly in a lot. I mean, he's he really dabbles in a lot of stuff, but he specializes mostly in the land speed, the VW land speed record keeping, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But you've also... I. I I had, a, I had some inquiries on the podcast recently in respect to the cow-look diagram. Mm-hmm. And someone yes. said, hey, does anybody know the origins of this cow-look diagram? And I know I, we may have touched on it in the mm-hmm. first podcast, mm-hmm. but can you elaborate and give me the, the, the actual story of the cow-look bug diagram? Uh, I can, uh, because I, I did the, I'm going to call it the rough draft of it. Right. Uh, I was homesick. I worked at Renfrey Motors at the time, and I was home. No, uh, no, I was working for Yamaha International at the time, and uh, homesick. And uh, Lane Evans called, and I'd done an illustration for the magazine they used as a centerfold on Don Roundtree's mid-engine Sandwinder off-road racer. Uh huh. And so they were looking for somebody to do an illustration related to the cow look, and thought of me, gave me a call, and uh, because I was not real healthy that day uh i said yeah i can they needed it right now it was right. like they needed it by monday and this is a friday and uh i said like i can do it but i don't have any real good artboard yeah uh so all i had was some uh what i don't even remember what they call it but it had a little uh texture to the artboard right so i sat down and uh I, although i did not have a cowlick car i was more of a slalom racer bonneville dune buggy guy uh, I knew enough about the this oncoming onslaught of uh, styling, yeah, uh, to put together a, a side view, a profile of the Calic uh, concept, and uh, was able to get it to them Monday before I went to work, and then uh, they were able to use it, which was good. But Lane did have to take it and uh, basically smooth out all my lines because that that rough board just wasn't perfect so when they and if you just turn that just up towards you just direct there you go there you go okay 10 times better okay (laughs) perfect perfect so if so did they say hey uh, they said burley we need a we need a profile of a beetle a Uh cow look beetle and we need it to and we're going to diagram it did they give you the diagram outline or did you they just said we need a map for the cow look beetle no i i I, like i say i was well aware enough of the styling uh to to make i'm Fortunately, I put on BRMs, not American mags or anything like that. Right. You know? So we had the right wheels. I did use the uh, curve style T-bars, the heavier, bigger ones. Right. And uh, we even did an in- we did a. There's also a drawing of the inside. There were actually two or three drawings of that that I submitted to them. They just used the profile, but 
now and back in those days like today's day is like you just do an illustration online email it and it's done mm -hmm. the process you had to go through back then was a, a bit more laborious in good old-fashioned old, old special art ink pens uh -huh. uh, like and things like that so so yeah. we're giving you credit for the cow look diagram I've been blessed to be called yeah, so, be associated we're, we're, with it. <laughs> we're doing that. And I just wanted to clarify that because I think it's really, I think it's really cool to be able to know the origins of where that came from. And then the story behind it now, what, so you really, ultimately you had artistic freedom to do that layout any way you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Yes. And when you went through the process of doing that, were there any do's and don'ts or when it came out in the magazine, did you guys get any feedback of like, oh, that's not accurate. It's a little different. It's this, it's that. No, not, not that I would. They, they may have it the magazine. But again, I was, I was just a, if you want to call it a contractor at the time and they, uh, uh, whatever they dealt with, they dealt with and never mentioned a thing to me. So you were you were like a subcontractor delivering they said hey we need a picture of this illustrate this and send it yeah, to us. Yeah. so you've got a background in art and drawing and things to that extent yeah i at one time i wanted to go to the uh, the art the school in Pen, uh, pasadena art uh, i can't even think what it is now the art pasadena design. school of art and design yeah sure we'll call it that uh, but I, I i took my portfolio in they looked at it says oh go back to college and uh, practice drawing some apples and stuff for a while. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they kind of burst your bubble right there. They had, but but uh, like I say, I, I was fortunate to get a couple kit designs built. So, so I've, I've satisfied my design needs and my artistic needs. So here we are at the Grand National Roadster Show. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think this day would come to be VWs in an entire building? No, not. I'm surprised there's even VWs in other buildings. That they're well, we have a cut. We have we have two that are running for in the running for the Sloniker that have uh, that have entered right. for the Sloniker award, mm -hmm. which is pretty substantial. I mean, that, that I, I think that establishes a new benchmark in the VW world as far as uh, I mean, there have been others, so to not discredit anybody else, we had um, we first had Pink Lady mm -hmm. that has won a Sloniker, so we have other VWs that have gone there, but they've been so so extreme that they were full-blown customs, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Pink Lady, which for those of you that don't know, Pink Lady is a, it was built by Burnt uh, Carlson, and it is a uh, flared out metal, it's a metal masterpiece. And you may know Burnt from being on the TV show um, American Hot Rod, and he built that car in the early 80s. And I mean, it is flared, it is decked, it's notched, it's, uh, everything you can do to it, it's done to it, and then on top of that, it's 100% low rider, right? And, I mean, it, and it's here to be seen again. And it's here today, right? The only other car that has won a Sloniker in the past is Chris Addington's Ghia. That also had won a Sloniker, and for that car to win a Sloniker was another, uh, another time. And, and what I think is interesting is when you're looking at this timeline, that was back in the 80s when VWs were at their peak. So when we look at that, does that say that today VWs are again are at another peak? I, I think they're hitting a different peak. You know, it's it's a it's a the, a lot of it's related to the recent sales of uh, different Volkswagens, right? You know, at extreme high prices, uh, and because there's less and less cars each year, so there's less cars to modify and keep on the road, but. Uh, they're hitting a new peak. Yeah. No, with, with, without a doubt, I think it's, <laughs> I, I think, you know, when, when you look at, when we're, when we're looking at 
Volkswagens that have been pushed to the pushed to the envelope. Pushed to the Greg Bunch coming by here. <laughs> Love it. And uh, you know, when we see VWs that gain a level of, it, it's interesting because the new ones, the new customized ones, which were essentially, if you're looking at it through the lens of today, in the 70s and 80s, the quote unquote new customized Beatles were what the teenage kids were doing with the older new cars, with the used cars, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now we've got it where they're certified classics, right? They've reached the age point where they're 100% bona fide classics. And now not only are they classics, but the ones that were built before that, the vintage classic customs are now being worth money. Myself owning two 80s cars now, and I'm known for building my own cars. And now with all this nostalgia, and I've grown up to be a little bit older looking back at my youth, and I'm like, man, if I can buy that car, and the best thing about buying those cars is like, you know, the difference is like you buy a collectible baseball and you can look at it and it's collectible because Mickey Mantle signed it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But with our hobby, with the cars, it's like you can buy these cars and you can live the experience of driving them. I mean, it, it's a collectible that lives and breathes and, and, and you can even modify it yourself a little bit. You can make it mm -hmm. your own. And, and for me, it's been unbelievable to be able to obtain some of these cars. But I think that it's an interesting thing to look at is that the old ones now, the, the ones from the 70s and 80s, are now becoming hugely collectible because of the nostalgia. So now we're in the hobby long enough, and you've been in the hobby long enough to see mm -hmm. the new fad, and the new fad continues to keep going because it keeps evolving, and yet the classic nostalgic, like the re the respect to the elders. You started to see a phrase that you cut off yourself off. Yes. With, and the word is Respect. Respect. You know, we because of the pricing, now people are beginning to gain some respect for our part of the hobby, which it's never had. It's always been, uh, it's always been, it's a separate little world. <laughs> but I think what's important is that, uh, you know, that, that when you see things, when you see things like this that are, that are coming to fruition, it really lets us know that the hobby has really changed. It's become... I don't want to say mainstream because it's still a counterculture group. Mm -hmm. right? Yes, mm -hmm. very v much so. VWs have never been, um, they've never been like the mainstream. It's always been a counterculture, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But, but uniquely enough, a lot of that's due to the VW people themselves. They have kept themselves separate from the other parts of the automotive And part world. of it, they were, they were never accepted too because this is going to transition right where I'm going next. Yeah, and it, 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 that's how it used to be. But today, uh, and again, where I, where I live now, uh, our VW group in that area are they just choose not to associate we invite them into the uh, I've got my <laughs> VW and I'm with these these hot rodders but nobody else will there's like two VW maybe three VW guys that come to anything yeah period the other people they've got nice cars but they don't do anything they don't and, join and it's really interesting because it, and, and maybe it's a testament to like the VW is such a personal hobby and each car is such a blank canvas for everybody that maybe they don't feel like they have to go show it off. Like they're building it really uniquely for themselves. And when I've, I've been in other hobbies with other car people like Mustang guys or, mm -hmm. you know, what, whatever different kind of guys here and there. And when I've been in those hobbies, those guys are all, they're all a little bit different. You know, there's just something about those guys are a little different. And I think with the VW culture, like VW people, there's a lot of guys, like that's one of the frustrations we have. Like we'll have a car show and we know there's 50 cars hiding in garages that don't come out. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe because people are like, ah, oh, you know what? My car I build for me, I wouldn't mind showing it if it's convenient, but I'm not going to go out of my way. 
because I don't have anything to prove, which then comes back to like, it comes back to the whole process of, or the, 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 the theory of the individuality that builds, right? So I'm thinking when we started talking about the counterculture and never being accepted, it brings me back to thinking of a podcast that I did to cover someone that you did a story on a Creighton long Muller. time ago. Creighton Muller. Yeah. And Creighton, so, so I first heard about Creighton Mueller when they were setting up this show originally a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, hey, have you interviewed Creighton Mueller? And I said, uh, <laughs> who? That's what I said. Exactly. Who? I've never heard about it. I've never done it. And, and, and to my embarrassment, I had the magazine at my house that you did the feature in Hot VWs. The, yeah, the, the revised feature, because it was originally shown and it started in 1955. And so the, some of you guys that may have not heard that podcast yet, Creighton Mueller was the first guy to chop a Volkswagen Beetle. Mm -hmm. He chopped a 1955 Five. Beetle. Brand new. Brand new in 1954. And he did so much custom stuff. And the interesting part is he was a hot rod. I think he was with, um, what they call them? The, the, the Prowlers or the, San the, Diego The, the Bandito. They're like a... Um, I can't think of, I can't recall the name of what, what car club he was in, but it was a really popular San Diego yes. class mm -hmm. vintage hot rod crew. Mm -hmm. And he goes out on a limb under true hot rodder style fashion and says, I'm going to hot rod a beetle. And I can only imagine what the experience was like when he showed it, he showed it at like the Anaheim event center or, mm -hmm. or, or somewhere at one of these car shows. And it was, do you were you around then when that came out? No, I first saw pictures of the car in about 1964. It's probably the first Volkswagen I ever remember as a Volkswagen. It mm -hmm. was still identifiable, even though it was a total custom. Uh, yeah. And I fell in love with it, and uh, that that's where the story went. Where we, you know, 50 years later, I finally found it, him and the car still existing. But he did run into the problem of uh, resistance. Because he was in this hot rod club, and he had done a German car 11 years after the war. No. That was another problem that you ran into when you were working on Volkswagens a long time ago. And here's, in, in, so it's, it's a double-ended problem, because <laughs> he's a hot rodder, and he hot rodded this Volkswagen. He didn't cow look the Volkswagen. This is as authentic hot rod mm -hmm. as you can get. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's surprising to me is that the work that was done, he, he's way ahead of everybody else. Oh, way ahead. He's a fully committed hot rodder. I think he, he channeled the car. Yes. Was it sectioned as well? Uh, no. Just It was channeled over the chassis. It was chopped. It had the first adjustable hydraulic front suspension. Right. I uh, had a Wolfsburg West, or not a, an Ocrossa, a genuine Ocrossa dual carb engine I'm going to pause it. you there. We're going to talk about the front suspension. So the front suspension, back in the day, the hot rod guys used to take what and do what to the front suspension? He used Corsair, F4U, chance spot, F4U Corsair airplane hydraulic struts to raise and lower the car in the front. Which is how the lowered guys would have their cars super low and that's how they would cruise into like a steep driveway. They would hit a button, hit a hydraulic on the front to mm -hmm. raise the front up. And this bug, it was done to Crate Mueller's bug in 1950. 
54. Uh, well, 54, that, that, that happened about 56. It was built over a period of about three years. Okay. And so it, it, it was added in there in 56, 57, something like that. And, I mean, you were lucky enough to meet Creighton, talk to him, and be able to interview him about his car. In his later life, yeah. He, and so what was, I had the fortunate experience of being able to do a podcast with him. Yes. Oh, I'm envious. <laughs> and, and he, he had passed away, uh, I think last, last year, last, yeah, last year he had, he had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I think my proudest moment as documenting podcasts was when his family, his family reached out to me and said, Hey, we really appreciate the podcast because we play it often to hear our dad's voice. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so. For me, that's like that's like a proud moment where I've been able to document some VW history and bring to our like in my generation and and I don't want to say I'm old school. I've been in the hobby for thirty years. I mean, thirty years I've been in the hobby, and so it's like my my impression is like you're old school because you've been in the hobby way longer than I have. You know, you're, <laughs> you're in the hobby fifty years. Yeah, well, you know, sixty-seven. So yeah, yeah, yeah. fifty-five years. Yeah, fifty-five years you've been in the hobby. And the incredible thing is, like, as much as it changes, to some to, to, to some degree, it, it, it stays the same. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of just run through what's what was done to Creighton's car, right? So Creighton, we talked about he had it channeled, um, he had it chopped, and mm-hmm. it was was it a it was a pull down style chop, like uh, a slant chop. Yeah, the front windshield was still the stock size, but just laid back. And it's, was a, it's, a, it's the sweetest looking chop I've it's ever seen. It's the hardest chop to probably do on that beetle. <laughs> and the, sec- the, the channeling was so low that he had to engineer a bump and a hole in the deck lid for the generator pulley to, so right. it didn't run into the generator pulley. So as opposed to the 80s, when the guys put dual carbs, all that stuff, they wanted mm-hmm. to get more air, which would have been the easy re- resolution would have been mm-hmm. to pull the deck lid back. He put a bump in it. And crossing that over, similar to what's on the back of Dino 67, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. With the air cleaner mm-hmm. over the top of the generator. So that's it's kind of neat how, you know, those are that's 20 years apart. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a similar modification technique, which, <laughs> which is super cool. But this car had other hot rod stuff that it had that was amazing to me. Is he converted the car to freaking right-hand drive. Yes. With I mean, hi- like. With a hydraulic clutch. Th- I mean, you're, There you're, was no kits. I mean, and people are here like, what's Bill getting all excited about? Like, this is 1950s. 1950s, <laughs> the guy's like, I'm going to convert this. I'm going to chop this beetle. Boom. Like, big time. Nobody's chopped the beetle. Mm-hmm. Super hard car to chop because it's not a straight top. Yeah. It's Calm got down this, curves everywhere. My, my, my friend Chris Clark chopped the beetle. He did a really nice job on it. He called it Section 8. And it's because he had to cut the roof into eight sections in order to chop it correctly because as you go down, the roof gets wider. So... With that, that's how much work goes into that. And yet that wasn't enough. He did a windshield drop on it. So the stock size windshield tilted back, mm-hmm. more aerodynamic. Then you look inside the car, convert it to right-hand drive, hydraulic clutch. Mm-hmm. Now he puts all, all I think Stuart Warren gauges across the uh, header uh-huh. just yes. above the windshield. So a bunch of gauges all through mm-hmm. there. The wiring on it was interesting because it was like aircraft wiring <laughs> i think because every wire was white like mm-hmm. every single wire in the car was white and it's big looms that are that are put together he had um plymouth rear wheels on there plymouth or dodge rear wheels like a, a wider i don't remember the, the make of the wheel that he used but, but he, he drilled it with maybe 80 holes in each wheel yeah and yeah he did a he did a, mm-hmm. a, a an immense amount of work to this car not to mention the paint job 
Uh, I think he had the glass was etched on it. There was just a, f- a footnote on his chop top. Yes. He also retained the vent wings and chopped the vent wings down. So it had all the full chrome and it had the vent wings. I mean, he, that, that, like that guy just, he, I think he was looking. And in the days of hot rodding, I think one of the things that got you a degree of respect was how, de- the, and it's till today in the, in the way the cars are shown, is degree of difficulty yes. in the build. Mm-hmm. He also uh, put, what was it, 57 Chevy solenoids. He had electrically operated door opening. You know, everything was before anybody ever did anything. Yeah, uh, I, I, he was certainly, I mean, the, you, you say trailblazer, but and it's not for face value. Like, he really was, he was so far ahead of the curve, nobody got it. And he drove the car. He drove it to the Salt Flats in 1959 with his wife and kids from San Diego. Did he really? Yeah. Drove it to the Salt Flats in Bonneville? Yes. Mm-hmm. Good grief. That's got to be a 900-mile a <laughs> drive. I mean, that's... This, this I mean, car was a, a car you drove. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was just... It's so amazing. And so here's my critique. As a young guy into the custom VW culture, when I see that car, I believe they did a disservice on your article. And here's why. This is my sent, my, my sentiment on it. The cover, sometimes we get too, we don't focus on what's the most important thing. And it's, it's all about flash, what's going to sell, what's going to get people to pick up the magazine right now. And that thing went almost unnoticed because it's in the back half of the magazine. It's a couple pages, a lot. I mean, the, all the information's there. And I was like, eh. I kind of flipped through it like, eh. There's a, there, there's a reason it couldn't have been any more than that. Uh well, hold on, hold on. I'm going to finish what, what I believe okay, was the right. disservice. Okay. The cover of that magazine should have been a black and white photo of that car at that first autorama, and it should have said, world's first chop top bug found. Mm-hmm. If that story, just this is my two cents, if that story would have been addressed that way, which maybe you could debate, it doesn't sell magazines, it's not our demographic. I believe it's important. It's important to the hobby, and I believe... It would be a story because everybody's got the magazine. I think it was 2000, 2012, 2012 yeah. issue of Hot mm-hmm. VWs where Crate Mueller's bug is in there. And it's just like, it's mind boggling to me. It's such a significant part of the story that that's just passed over because people are looking, you know, and, and us young hot rod guys are like looking for whatever, but it's interesting. But go ahead. You're saying there was a reason the story could only be the way the story right. was. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief history on the car. Yes. He, he was building it, built it up through uh, the early 60s, made continuing modifications. Uh, then he got called away in the Army. His folks had the car in the yard. They sold it off. $800. And uh, to Bruce Crower of Crower Cams. Really? Yeah. And when he got back, the car was gone, didn't know where it was, anything like that. So then he he's used his skills and you know set up his own auto body shop and eventually moved to Tacoma, Washington. And in the late 70s, he decided to go looking for the car, went back down to San Diego, and through a lot of snooping, found it setting outside, stripped apart in the back of a body shop someplace. Was able to purchase it, haul it home, and he and his son Andy uh, went ahead and eventually restored the car with modifications. Uh, the the cross engine was gone, so they built a, a they had a Gene Berg engine, dual carb engine. They put in it okay. because of the extra power. They widened the rear fenders a little bit to take 
bigger tires uh, and painted it in the uh, scheme of the time, which was kind of a pearl red with a pearl blue scallops. What was the, the original car was black. Was he black? couldn't remember. It was either black <laughs> or dark, are... it's dark blue. The only pictures we have of it uh, are all at one show. What was the show was that? Do you remember? They, we've never been able to figure it out. And he had the pictures or he had a magazine cut out or what? Uh, no, I, it, uh, they were, it was put into a custom compact book around 64. And that's probably where I first saw the pictures. Just instantly, the, the, the look was there. He yeah. captured the look. And then in 67, Rod and Custom, the car disappeared by then. In 67, Rod and Custom reprinted a lot of the same pictures trying to find the car. And I didn't, I didn't know that. And I got Rod and Custom, but I didn't remember that. In the late 70s, I went looking for it. And uh, I got a hold of Pat Ganahl from Rod and, Rod and Custom, who's also a Volkswagen guy. Mm-hmm. And he remembered about the article in 67. So uh, that had a name of Creighton Muller, but nobody could figure out who Creighton Muller was. And it disappeared forever until uh, two brothers in North Carolina, Corey and Andy Vaughn, we were on Facebook talking about it. They were on uh, Jalop. The Jalop Inc. Yeah, Jalop Nick. And he said, I love that car. He says, I, I think there's a guy nearby that knows what happened to it. So he went to the trouble in North Carolina to say it ended up somewhere in Washington at a body shop. And so he put me into the town. I went on good old Facebook or good old Google. Right. Google body shops in Tacoma, Washington. And... Up pops this uh, body shop site with some pictures, and it's a dusk picture with the garage doors open, and there on a hoist is the car. Really? Yeah. And what does he say when you're like, so you didn't even tell me you're looking for the car. You just look at it. I was it. just looking at the car. I found it. I know where to go. And from that, we were able to contact Creighton, and a couple years later, I, I traveled to Washington and, and photographed it. Now... The, the car, even though they'd done the paint job, they did it all up. It was beautiful. Uh, they never finished widening the special Nerf bars, bars for it, getting them right. re-chromed. They got them, they got them built, but then they got them chrome. So they're hanging on a wall. I go up to shoot this. He knows I'm coming. And he's got a Mercedes 300 SL. He's got a T-bucket. He's got a, a 64 car. Craig Mueller did way, very good for himself. He had a trifoker. Yeah, hanging from the ceiling of one of his body shops. <laughs> he, he had given me some personal financial advice when we were on the phone. He said, you know, if you're a young man, you go out and you buy property and you do this and you do this and you'll be successful. And when you're older, you'll have a lot of income coming in from those things. Yep. And that <laughs> sounds exactly like him. You know, it was it did, it, one of the things I love about doing the podcast is I'm on, I'm on the phone with these guys for so long that we kind of create this friendship, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I knew him without ever meeting him. Mm-hmm. Because yes. the conversation is all about getting to know him. So it, it, it was so great for me. But you find the car, you see Creighton, and w- what's he think when this wacky guy shows up looking looking for his car? I don't think he really believed I was coming. Really? Yeah. I got there. The car was in the shop, four flat tires, and dirty. And no, uh, they couldn't start it. A door panel was missing from inside. One, because they for whatever they, reason they had to do. So this is the reason the car never got more coverage on the cover. That's where I was heading with this. Uh, he had one of his shop boys wipe the car down. The valve stems were on the insides of the wheels, and yep. that thing was low. So they had to get air into the tires, 
We pushed it out in front of the shop doors and took the pictures. Wow. I couldn't, you know, we couldn't move it to a nice setting, and Washington's got some beautiful settings. Well, but but I but my point that I was making is I believe if they if they showed that yellowy black and white picture on the cover and said first chop top VW found, I think the significance of the importance of that story. And I'm telling you, when I started this podcast, I wasn't such a big history guy of all this stuff. And the more I've done the podcast, the more I've done interviews with people, the more that I begin to cherish the history of this hobby that that has shaped my life. And so many lives, so many other people, and brought so many f- people together like mm-hmm. friends. I mean, there are bonds that that I've met people at car shows ten years ago that if I saw them tomorrow, I'd be like, "Hey, how are you, buddy?" Like you give them. A, I mean, I just had somebody come up to me five minutes ago, and we hugged, and I know them just through the VW hobby. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yes. like, it's 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 such a personal connection that we have between our cars and the culture and the mm-hmm. people, and it really it, it really is. It, it, it's something that's really changed my life, and, and since I've started this podcast and I've been doing this, I really feel obligated to, to continue getting getting as much history in a media format that people can access it in their leisure, mm-hmm. because you know in this crazy world, as technology's moved on, everybody's gotten more and more responsibilities, but now, with this happening now like this, they're able to take a drive. We had a guy stop up here. Uh, Tim Eubanks, and he said, "Oh yeah, you know, when I came through there, I'm able to, I'm able to listen to the podcast on my way up to Sacramento, and I take the time and do this." And I, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm glad that I can provide that for people, but it's not just me. It's not, it's not a me thing. It's you. It's the hobby. It's the people in the hobby. I mean, that's the part to me that. Yeah, but you're, you're collecting the history. You're putting it down for perpetuity. You know, it's <laughs> and, it's going to be feel, good. And, and now I feel obligated. Yeah, you know what I mean. I feel obligated. Like I must. Continue as many people as I can, mm-hmm. because there's nothing better than hearing the story from the horse's mouth. You know what I mean? From the guy who lived <laughs> yeah. and there, there'll be stories and rumors and different perspectives and all that stuff. But I just want to know what your perspective of was. Mm-hmm. It. So, uh, you know, that, that car was a significant car. I wish it would have been here. I know they were trying to get it here la- for last time, but it was just, it's so far. It's so much work. And, and part of me thinks that, this is a big stinking deal that it we're sure here is. at the Grand National Road Show. certainly. I'm telling you, like part of me has been really, I don't know if I'm just emotional or what, but it's like this has really been something meaningful to me. And my per- the cars I've built aren't even here. I'm stewards of two cars that were built by other guys here. And I'm super excited to do that because... Those cars are the reason why I'm here. Those cars are the reason why I do this podcast. Those cars are, are what lit my fuse. Yeah, they were your inspiration. To get me going. So it's like, man, and I'm sure my cars have done that for other people, just like your cars have and everybody's cars. And speaking of your cars, there's a car here that was that has one of your kits on it, or is that actually your old car? That's my old car, and that's the very first kit that okay. Sam Winder built. So now, this is another deep dive we're going to do with Burley. Burley is a hot rodder trapped in a Volkswagen guy's body. That's, that's, a, that's the best <laughs> definition ever. That's how I should have started the podcast. I'm here with Burley Burlau, hot rodder trapped in a Volkswagen enthusiast's body, right? And so talk to me about the kit. So you develop, you design the kit. Yes. I, I sketched the kit out, first of all, when I was working at American Honda in 1965. And it was a conventional-looking Volkswagen-style kit. 
mm-hmm. except that I had motorcycle fenders on the wheel. That, that was the only difference. Still had the VW hood, still had the rear deck lid. Because your, your concept was like, here you are, where are you originally from? Uh, Southern California. I was Here raised are, in the center of it. A Southern California boy who just can't afford his 32 Ford. Oh, yeah. And I never have been able to. <laughs> and, and you can't afford it. You're just a dirty VW guy like the rest of us. And you're like, you know what I'll do? I'll make I'll make motorcycle fenders, put graft on them. So really, when they talk about the first, the what do they call them? Volksrod. Volks the first Volksrod. Mm-hmm. You're the guy. I, I designed it not knowing... I was designing the first Volkswagen. Right. I was just, at the you know, time, you could unbolt the fenders, and they were kind of neat looking with the fenders off, so why not do it like a hot rod? But at the time, it's two completely opposite hobbies. Oh, yeah. It's just opposite of the lowrider bug that's yeah. here. And at, because cars, when you say, when someone says lowrider, you think 64 Impala or, you know, mm-hmm. long graphic, whatever, spoke wheels, but you think big body American car. You don't mm-hmm. think Volkswagen Beetle. Right. When you think 32 Ford, you don't think no. Volkswagen Beetle. The platform that we've been given is the most universally yes, modified platform <laughs> in the world. So you, so now for you to design the kit, like at this time, this is, what year is this? 65. 65. So this is after Bruce Myers has has hit the ro- fiberglass he, he, he was he was just finishing them up uh i actually uh bought my first volkswagen uh 62 anthracite gray uh, type one nice because i was uh, racing against a corvair powered myers manx one of the first uh 12 uh monocoque cars mm-hmm. uh in slalom racing in southern california and i was driving a 56 corvette and this was the era of the brand new Cobras, the brand new XKEs, the brand new Stingrays. And we were racing this little purple Myers Manx. And uh, the, the key thing on uh, slalom racing is to have the fastest time of the day. Right. And in 45 races one year, this Myers Manx got 42 fast time of days against Cobras, XKEs, Stingrays. I'm driving my Corvette. I want a car like that. Right. So my eventual plan was to get a buggy. and But I got the 62 bug first. And uh, that, that started to light my fire uh, as far as the uh, uh, the VW world goes. But I got it because I watched this guy Tear wipe, it up. wipe everybody's butt up. And then he went to Pike's Peak and went so fast, they discontinued the class the next year. He beat the record by... 15 a guy in a corvair powered buggy yeah <laughs> <laughs> they took the class away for like 15 20 years well that's how you fix that <laughs> yeah and that car still exists not the not the monocoque one but they they used a, a later version myers makes for the pikes peak run really but it still exists the guy's daughter has it and it would have been neat if that was one of the cars that could have been here too yeah no i mean there's there's so many cars that are influential that there's that there's these stories that have happened with mm-hmm. um so let's get back to your design. So okay. you sketch out. You, so bring me through the, the the genesis of this. So you want a th- you want to you want to make your Volkswagen look like a hot rod. The word the, you want to make a Volksrod before there's the word Volksrod. Yes, and be, yeah, and so I and I'm a, I like the hot rod style. I looked. I thought I could take a regular conventional Greeno Miller style Baja kit mm-hmm. and graft a 32 Ford grill to it, a chopped one. And just blend everything together, and that's uh, I gave that artwork to uh, Don Roundtree at Sandwinder, 
And I gave him the car. I gave him a 63 sunroof. I gave him the grill, chopped grill. And he went ahead and molded everything up and started producing the kit uh, back then. And then I got the first kit out of it, and that went on to the 63, and that's the car that's here. And what? that's that's not your anthracite car. That was a 61. No, that's it's a totally separate project from the beginning. So this was a brand-new project, 63 Beetle. Mm-hmm. What was your deal with Sandwinder? Like, make me a kit, and you can sell them. I told you about the buggy with the Corvair. Well, uh-huh. I couldn't afford a Corvair. And I didn't, I didn't really want to spend $635 for a Myers-Manx kit, but I could get a Sandwinder kit. How much was a Myers-Manx kit? The, the full kit with all everything except the Volkswagen was $635. That was the advertised retail. I don't and, know what you could no, negotiate. And, and what was the price of the of the Manx kit? Uh, the, the, the Sandwinder kit was $349. In, oh, so in, Manx was $635. Yeah, and then I could get the Sandwinder for uh, $349 in a beautiful deep two-tone metal plate. Come, it would come in metal flake. Oh yeah, that's what all the buggies came. Ninety-nine percent of the buggies were made in metal flake so in the, the early sixties. Okay, so what was so what was your deal? I and I proceeded to build that car not as a dune buggy, but as a sports car to go slaloming. You figured you, you without the fenders or the fenders up high, you get more clearance and you can get put a wider, fatter tire on there to get no, more no, traction. No, this, this is a fiberglass dune buggy. Oh, okay. So I'm talking just like it's a Myers Manx clone. Okay, it's a good quality Myers Manx clone. And that's the, and you designed that? No, no, no. So they si- no, side. That's how I got together with Don Roundtree got at Sandwinder. It. Got it, got it. And I, I, I lowered the car. I didn't raise it. Decambered it. How'd you and, lower it back then? Uh, it was a '66, so you could adjust the camber on the front end. I had a VW dealer lower it for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't put the body onto the chassis. I paid a guy. Uh, oh, what was his name? I, anyway, in Belfar, cost me three hundred fifty dollars to have him section the chassis. Put the body on the chassis, get it all street legal for me. So I got a basic car built for seven hundred and fifty dollars or so, eight hundred dollars. Nice. Plus the parts. So you give them the drawing for the kit. They go into production on the kit. I gave them that and the uh, the cars. Yeah, yeah. You were going back to the thirty-two kit. Yeah, yeah. yeah they uh, went ahead and uh, built it up. It took a long time. Uh, How long did you have to wait for the 32 Ford kit to be made? Now, you said originally you just did fenders? I just had little motorcycles. Did you do that on your own? No, I was planning on putting them on this car. I just never got around to it. So this one's always been fenderless. Oh, really? Yeah. And and on that car, were you planning to attach the fenders to the wheel so they would turn with the wheel? Yes. So have that splash protection. Have that hot rod look. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Get away without it. That's fine. So this is the original first car that has this, it, and it's a Sidewinder. What they call the kit? It was called a Sandwinder. Uh, Sandwinder. Sandwinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, deuce kit. The Deuce kit. Did they ever have any problems with Ford? No, no. Because Ford probably didn't trademark the word Deuce. We spelled it differently. Oh, did the you? proper de- spelling on a Deuce kit on a thirty-two Ford is D-E-U. Uh-huh. We spelled it D-U-E. So it wasn't, and they don't own the Deuce name anyway. Right. That's just the thirty-two. They're not like Volkswagen when copyright wrote everything. No, <laughs> no, they no. end up trademarking everything, right? No, no. So they they got that done, started so manufacturing. They didn't quite get them out to manufacturing white. Like I said, it took about a month, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, I did some drawings, uh, refined the drawings, and I gave them to Hot VWs, and they put them into uh, the magazine saying this kit is coming. Right. And this one, we had a Baja version, the fender, the street rod version with fenders. 
uh, a Turing version you know, with a Phaeton and uh, four or five different versions of it. Of this kit? Of this kit. Why so many versions? Was it just like that's what everybody, you just wanted to get it, something it, for everybody? No, it was, a, again, it was a Drino Miller kit, basically, with a, a you could actually take the Drino Miller hood off, the Drino Miller nose piece off, and bolt this kit in place. So if you had an existing Baja, you didn't have to buy a whole nother car to make a 32 Ford out of it. Yeah. You could just buy the two pieces, put them on, and you were ready to go. So, so you could modify. So it, was that a design intention in the kit? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's get these guys from Bajas and make some 32s. Uh, one of the ads, in fact, one of the pictures in the hot VWs show I have a, a Drino Miller nose and hood laying down beside the, in, in a drawing, laying beside the 32 kit to emphasize the point that we were trying to make. So how many of these kits did they produce, do you think? Do they have a number I don't, of I don't know what they did. Uh, when I moved up to Utah later on, I kind of took over and then had a manufacturer up there. We didn't produce lots of them. Mm-hmm. But it was good enough to where Speedway Motors copied them and put them in their catalog. What do you do then? Uh, did you just shut I up did, and take it, or did you pay, place a phone call? They even used a picture of my Baja in their book. Really? And I just, I didn't, I, I'm a small guy. I didn't right. have resources to go after Bill Smith and Speedway Motors. And what year was this? That would have been 79, 80, 81, right in there. Wow. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about fiberglass, just like Bruce Myers found out, you got to be the first guy in the crowd. You having, a patent doesn't, having a patent doesn't matter. You know, hit the crowd, get the most sales, and then smile with the rest of because you're going to be copied everybody's going to be copied unbelievable so now what's the story of the car here so that's your first car it's a long tail you got some time we're here okay uh well i'm building the car in 75 actually creating the car i move up to utah in 76 Mm -hmm. the car's almost finished but not quite this car yeah the deuce is still not finished. Still not finished. How many years are you building this thing? Uh, oh, I, I, I only got the kit in '74 or so, '75. So it took about a year and a half. 1974, you get the kit. Yeah, and so we, and it's again, I'm, I'm a young married couple. You know, we've got to live with our, within our means, mm-hmm. and so it came up to Utah with us. We ended up finishing it up here, drove it for a couple, three years, and uh, again, still young married couple, struggling along. Pulled the engine out because I wanted to save the engine. It had been with the buggy. The engine was in my dune buggy that had raced it, the buggy ends. What motor? Uh, it was a 1300 made into a 1600, still with the original 30 pick one carb. Mm-hmm. I, I like stock little engines that run, 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 run. Run like a sewing machine. Yeah, and so, and I drive them. I, uh, the dune buggy we had, we put 700 miles on it one day going to Bonneville. Wow. You know. So anyway, the the we get the Volkswagen on the roads, uh, have it, enjoy it. For a couple of years, the magazines cover it. Uh, it's probably one of the last Volkswagens that was ever shown in a Street Rotter magazine. They did a, a one-page black and white feature on it, Street Rotter. And what issue? Do you know what year Street Rotter? Seventy-eight. All the coverage on the Mac car back then was in April, May of seventy-eight, and they called it the Volksdeuce, was the the way they worded it in Street Rotter. Uh, I sell the car to a a pharmacist. I'm living in northern Utah, and a fellow in the Salt Lake City area 
purchases the car without the engine with the intent of putting an all-chrome Porsche 356 engine he has in it. Really? And uh, so... So what did you sell the car for? How much did you sell it for when you sold it? I don't... I have it written down. It was probably $2,500. And what year is this? 1981. So you only have this car for like three, three, three years. years. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm young. I'm broke. I need money. Got to raise the family. And you're living in Salt Lake or St. George at the time? I'm living in northern Utah uh, outside of a town called Logan, within eyesight okay. of the Idaho border. So you decide to sell this car. Guy takes it. Mm-hmm. And the story becomes very sad after that. This guy had uh, a 56 uh, Nomad. He had four or five other really nice Chevy cars, and then he had this Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a pharmacist. Two years later, he's murdered in a drug robbery at his pharmacy. Really? Mm-hmm. And I lose track of the car. This is 1981. Okay. And I always wonder where it happened. Uh, never could never could find it again. And we're at uh, 2014, some 34, 33, 4 years later. I'm at a VW uh, swap meet show up in Ogden, Utah, talking with an acquaintance. And he says, hey, do you know anything about a car that's got like a Ford grill on it with no <laughs> fenders? Yeah, I think I know a little something about that. I says, was it black? He says, yeah. He says, oh, I, I saw it in a driveway here. I says, you did? I says, can you find out where that address is? I, I need to go there. And he, he's a tiler. Uh, he tiles homes all around the, the right. state, northern Utah. He says, yeah, I'll probably be back in that area in a couple, three weeks. So I'm, I'm counting on him to do this. And we're acquaintances. He doesn't have my phone number. Just passerbys. Like, oh, and and he knows how to get a hold of me. Typical VW relationship. Like, yeah, I've seen you before at a couple of the yeah. meets. And he, and he knows how to get a hold of me through other people. Mm-hmm. The very next morning, a Sunday morning, he calls me at 8, eight in the morning. How he got my phone number, I, I don't know to this day. The car was for sale on KSL, which is a major right. pub, uh, for sale place in Utah. Uh, it was for sale. So he puts me onto this guy. I call the guy. I happen to have just sold. I forget what. I'd sold a car. I still had the cash in, in the house. Throw the tow bar in the car. My wife and I buzz down there. It starts up. He's got skinny wheels on it, but he still has the original wide uh Firestone tires and mag wheels setting aside, but he didn't like it with that. So he had skinny chrome wheels with little baldy hubcaps on it. And we take it for driving. You can hardly go 25, 30 miles an hour in it. But it, it's there, it runs, and the price is good. And so we tow it home. And then first thing I do that afternoon when I get home is throw the big tires and wheels back on it. And I take it out and drive it. And these are now... Now you drive it with a motor that's in it, or you still had your motor you say No, no, this is, has the chrome Porsche in it. I mean, oh, it still has the Porsche in it? It's got it? the chrome Porsche in it. I mean, this, this is cool. Uh, you know, this is, this is dream world stuff. Right, right. <laughs> how much do you buy the car? How much do you have to pay for the car to get it back? I, I'm thinking about 7500 The The engine itself was worth that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What year is this? In 2014 you yeah, bought it 2014. back? Yeah, So it was in good condition. It wasn't roached out. That was the amazing thing. Uh, when the person, when the fellow died that had the car... His family kept it in and probably with his other cars for decades. It oh, was wow. the car was in I, I don't know how to describe it, identical shape to the condition I sold it in in nineteen eighty one. 
Uh, how'd that make you feel when you saw that? I couldn't believe it. It still had a little champagne edition VW logo decal on the 52 Porsche steering wheel. Uh, I, I like glass, vintage door glass shift knobs. Mm-hmm. I, I put the door like knobs the on for shift knobs. looking door knobs. And they're cool Shivers. and they're smooth. Uh, they're cool to the touch. They're smooth. I put them in every car. When I put it on that car, I never could get it tight. And I get in the car, and it still wobbles. Felt like an old shoe. Just put it on, oh. you're comfortable again. The problem was, with the no big wide tires on it, you couldn't drive it over 25 miles an hour. It would shake the steering wheel out of your hands. Oh, really? Yeah. There was the t- there had been a deterioration in one of the tires. And I remember seeing it after I sold it to him, but before he died, that had a flat tire. I would imagine it, it was that. So uh, we went ahead and ordered some new BF Goodrich uh, radial TAs. They had to be special order because they were big. And it took a few months to get those. As soon as we put those on, the car would do 65, 75 miles an hour, smooth as could be. With what's with the Porsche motor in it? With the, oh, yeah. Well, it always would do that Is that fast still anyway. the Porsche motor that's in it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you currently own the car? No. Yeah, you got to be kidding me, Burley. I had it. I enjoyed <laughs> it for two or three years. I put 400 miles on it, driving it from northern Utah to southern Utah to where I live. And then one of my 36 horse Challenger friends, mm-hmm. they we, we used to meet at my house in, in northern Utah uh, before we'd go to Bonham. We'd have a, a crew of four or five race cars and 30, 40 people driving out the salt flats well he came, and we do an overnighter at my house so he was there and he saw it and he took it for a drive he said, let me know when you want to sell it and uh and you, you always kind of go that, yeah sure that <laughs> fateful day came that fe- and i didn't think of him yeah i didn't think of him i got it down here i enjoyed it uh wanted to move forward yeah and i'd now had it back life magazines had all covered it again in the story of this the story doesn't quit there. Sold it to Juan Cole, Juan Cole the third, actually. Uh, Juan Cole is my friend, but his son is the one that actually paid for it. Uh, but Juan Cole picked it up, took it to his home in Paradise, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got it there. And, and I gave him, when it, when it left this time, it left with every document I had, every photograph taken, well, now it's now now it's it's long enough in the hobby where it's being sold as something historical, it, it's it's historical been, significance. It's been recognized as the very first Volkswagen. Right. If it had a VW hood on it, everybody else would think it was too. With a thirty-two Ford hood, they can't quite handle that part of it. But yeah. but that's common. That's just normal. Well, because I I think they're maybe splitting hairs and saying it's not a Volkswagen. It's a it's a kit car. Yes. It's not a kit car. It's mm-hmm. a Volkswagen with the thirty-two Ford conversion yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that if Juan wanted to take and throw a VW hood on it, he'd be right in the mix with everybody else. Yeah. That's all it would take. Yeah. Everything unbolts, it would be done easily. So it's in now Paradise, California, in 2018. Uh, everything's in it. Juan had a VW shop there, and then his house was just a couple of miles away, and he had a large collection of cars: Porsche 356, bunch of split window buses. He had the the Herbie that went cross-country from New York City to uh, San Francisco in 42 hours and uh, some odd minutes in section. Oh, really? Yeah. And he had his Bonneville Herbie that had raced the world of speed out there. And then he had the Volkswagen. They'd put it in a metal shipping container next to his shop. And they got to thinking about these two big trees beside it. They didn't like that idea. Because Paradise is a forested area. So they cut down the two trees. Like in the hills, right? Yeah. And the very next month, the, the campfire, the Paradise Fire that 
that came through the town and killed 85 people and just destroyed the town. you got to be kidding me. And it destroyed every his home and every member he had it there. It, he had a metal building shop, but uh, the propane tank blew the valve on that. The propane was aimed towards the building. It blew in and melted the plastic PVC water pipes, and everything inside the building got steamed oh, and wow. destroyed. Chopped, chopped cars, gears, everything. Engines, cases. Uh, when I went and saw the building later, the, the empty blister packages were all melted and the parts were on the ground. The blister pack was still hanging on the wall. It was strange. Yeah. And they went, they, you couldn't get in to see the Volksrad for 30 days. They didn't let people who lived there into their homes for 30 days. He got to the container, opened it up. It was totally undamaged. None of the paperwork was damaged. They were able to start the car up and drive it out no of the middle of this conflagration. So the story and the history of Volkswagen, number one, continues along. And That's now it's so at the awesome. Grand National, National Roadster Show. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds, right? Yeah. It's oh, incredible. It's an incredible story. It just keeps going. I'm telling you, man. Burley, I, so before we wrap up, what are you working on now? What's your latest project your 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 thing that you're in the middle of right now are you still just busy on and doing the land speed stuff that, that's all it is I, I this i bought a 2003 mexican bug with 17,000 miles on it. i know and the the clutch cable was lubed at the factory and installed there the throttle cable was lubed at the factory installed there the door panels have never come off nobody's ever worked on this car and i get to drive it that's awesome and so I have no plans for any other car projects. Well, all of my podcast listeners know that I at one time had owned a Mexican Beetle and I recently just purchased it back because you were my inspiration to do that. <laughs> I, I owned this car and it was a love-hate relationship. And I thought, I, I hate driving it because I don't want to put miles on it. And then you said, I want to be the guy that puts all the miles on this car. And that's why I bought a brand new one because when are you going to be able to buy a brand new one, right? Yeah. It's essentially a brand new yeah, Beetle. Yeah, essentially a brand new car. So I thought... I'm, you know what? Burley's right, man. I'm taking a page out of Burley's book, and I'm going to buy that Beetle back. And that Beetle sits in my garage today, and I drive it frequently without any hesitation of clocking miles on it because my buddy Burley told me, you be the guy to put the miles on it. Now, I'm going to make a challenge to you, Bill. I want you to come over and look at mine and see the few modifications I've done to it. Okay. Externally, basically nothing. I want you to come look at the dashboard and the door panels. Mm -hmm. Because it's a Volkswagen Beetle, I've taken essentially 21, 26 components from 21 different years of Volkswagens and retrograded the interior as close as I can to look like a 63, 64 VW. Really? It's got, I mean, everything fits. The uh, your your uh, VW has a black speedometer ring around yep. it. Yep. I took a 57 chrome Carmen Ghia one. I didn't even take the old one out. Just put it, it over just top. Pushed right over the top. <laughs> I, I've always hated the padded dashboards on Volkswagen Bugs. They're all black. Everything's black right? in the car. So my anytime I get a padded dashboard bug, it gets painted to match, or or at least a contrasting color. Mm -hmm. I this one's my cars are a dark blue Riviera. What they call it Riviera blue. I painted it silver to brighten it up. I painted the panels from black to the color of the car. Yeah. And I added chrome. So it's bright, it's lively. Nice. And it's uh, it'll make you feel better. When you're driving the car, you're going to feel like you're an older bug. Well, you know what I kind of love about my Mexican is that I have a standard Beetle. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a Rojo Red standard. Yeah. Color like matched my- bumpers. And what I li- and I put on the plates 03 cow look. I put lowered exactly. spindles on it. <laughs> I put a set of four lug cosmics on it, original four lug cosmics. And it is a champ. The only thing I would change about it, it there's a couple things. This is what I would like to do. If my dream list, like drop it off and get this done, is bolt a turbo header on it and put a small turbo on the motor. Mm-hmm. I think that I need to change the transaxle and put a taller gear transaxle so it's lower RPM. We, and we talked speed. about that. And, and there's yeah. some back and forth, but I'm thinking if I'm adding a turbo, <laughs> I'll have enough oomph to overcome That's true. the That's taller true. gear mm-hmm. ratio. Um, and I've got to lower the seats. The seats, I'm a tall, I'm, I'm not tall, I'm, I'm six feet tall. But my, it, the seats sit a little tall for me. So I, I, my ideal seat would be to find the matching fabric for the Mexican interior. So if any of my guys out there in Mexico that are listening, I have an 03 Mexican Beetle. I need the factory upholstery material so I can take a set of beards, cover them in that, and put the beard. Because the reason I like the beards is it's like a cockpit. You feel, you're, you're like a fitted seat, and then you drive the car faster. <laughs> you don't go rolling all over the seat you know what i mean you don't gotta yank the seat belt real tight to keep you from rolling so that's we're, that's, d- we're definitely showing the age difference between us that's i don't want to go list. fast anymore <laughs> but that's my wish list but i'm making this promise to you that within the net before the world of speed i'm going to get in my rojo and i'm going to do a video of me getting in my rojo to come visit burley bird lounge st george utah i'm driving the bug to your house we're going to go grab lunch and we're going to do a little video about my bug, your bug, and all the fun Sweet. stuff. Sweet. So I promise that to you. That's going to happen shortly. Okay. All right, buddy? And I'll be driving it down for your cars and coffees there in the middle of Vegas. That's a wall. You know what you can do? You can come right to my one crazy weekend this October, October 7th. Shameless self-promotion here. October 7th this year, we're doing our one crazy weekend again. And that's going to be happening at the Orleans Hotel and Casino where we're going to have a organized strip cruise Friday night. We're going to have a car show Saturday morning four or five hour break between the two and then starts the one crazy weekend poker run where i give away twenty five hundred dollars in cash love poker runs i love driving them that's, that's what they're for that's what it's that's all what about it's about now imagine taking your beautiful little mexican bug and doing a strip cruise with a hundred other mexican bug a hundred other beetles volkswagen love it any type yeah burley Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me on, Bill. I appreciate Good to you. to see you down here. I'm, I don't know how you're handling 24-7 for four days straight. It's high, it's high. <laughs> We've been getting up at 7 and going to bed at 1 in the morning. Man. And it's it, this is like, I've been to the SEMA show a million times. This is different because I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a voyeur. I'm not walking around looking. I'm actually here at my booth trying to do podcasts, grabbing people, trying to savor the moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm so I'm so happy to be here, my man Kevin Doyle, right there. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Another podcast guest previously, Randy Carlson, all kinds of celebrities, Volkswagen celebrities in the house hey, walking by. By the way, Randy Carlson helped me sell Volkswagen. Remember, I told you that Juan wanted to buy yes. it. Yes, and I forgot about that. Really? And so I contacted Randy because it's it was an odd car. You know, right, in, Rand, in Randy has a, a, he, a he knack for finding the specific that. buyers. So he went ahead and created a beautiful ad. And put it up. Juan saw it on there, and called me, and so I sold it to Juan, and continued with my thing with Randy. And you know, he, if it hadn't been for him, it wouldn't got sold. So it was dealt just like to, to him. But he never had to deal anything other than create the ad. That's awesome. <laughs> but he helped. So, well, I tell you, <laughs> Burley, I can't thank you enough. We'll be doing lunch soon again. Thanks. Enjoyed for, dinner with you last night. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Bye bye.
If you like that podcast, and I know you did, make sure you share with a friend. We love when you guys share the podcast. Also, if you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up some merch, and support your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just last week, I uploaded another interview. Next week's podcast will be Dave Conklin, the Corn Panzer, coming to you on Let's Talk Dubs. So until next week, guys, later.